You're tuned into 9 to 5 Work Rebels with your host, Ebony Gale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gems in Com series special brought to you by 9 to 5 Work Rebels podcast and in association with the Hanson Search award winning international executive search consultancy. I am your host, Ebony Gale, and I am very excited to have with me today the lovely Caroline Bernard who is Head of Influence at Respect, which is a charitable membership body or member body uh, organisation. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. It's wonderful to have you. Now, just as a bit of background, now this whole Gems in Com series special is all about giving our um, Black, Asian, ethnic minority, you know, uh, PR and comms professionals their flowers, essentially, you know, because we know that the industry, PR and comms industry, is known for notoriously being... Uh, majority white at what is it 92 I think it's, it's actually gone up to 91% white at the moment um, but there are a lot of people of color who are in the industry doing some great things and you are one of those so we want to make sure we give you your flowers and say you know well done to you and to obviously highlight you and highlight your experience so let's start off with you first telling us about yourself and like what you do have you always wanted to work in comms like what attracted you to the industry well, I uh, work as head of influence for a second year body, as you mentioned, we're a membership organisation, and that covers everything around policy, communications, public affairs, all the external relations stuff, and also a bit of internal communications as well. And I've been doing that kind of work for about 16 years now, various roles in different charities. I didn't also want to work in comms. I began my career working in the private sector many moons ago. I worked for a couple of Marks and Spencer's clothing suppliers, oh. and I was I was a product manager at the end of that that time, um, working around, you know, working with M&S buyers, putting things into production, kind of project management, that kind of thing, quite a different um, yeah. kind of world. But I began thinking about changing career in my sort of late 20s, and I went back to college and was studying part-time for my social science degree when M&S got rid of a few suppliers, and we were one of those, so I got made oh. redundant. So I was able to kind of think about changing career then yeah and I went to work for the Department of Health just the temp I was working on um, briefings for for ministers and writing letters that come in you know from private office and just kind of writing responses to letters and that got me into kind of you know health and social care policy I was interested in working in that area anyway I was studying to, to work in social policy um, so I was kind of I carried on did my degree and finished that there and then got a permanent job in the Department of Health and it went from there, really. I began to do comms a bit later. Um, I did policy for many years and then went into doing comms a little bit later. And then now I combine the two, policy, comms, and also public affairs. So there's three areas there that I, I work across. Oh, so I didn't also work in comms, but I knew that I had the skill. I, I was interested in the areas of my personal life in, in public affairs and in kind of current affairs and in, in health and care. My mother worked as a care worker. So I knew about the, the social care world from her experience of working at the front line. So that was always something I was always aware of. Um, but I certainly um, knew I had an interest and I had some skills that I w- were not really using um, in the private sector. So I think I was able to kind of use those skills that I had um, and the kind of natural talents I had much better in this kind of world so that, that's why I changed career amazing and it does it's interesting that you went from policy into communications I think that um does make sense because then you're able to translate that information for, into bite size I think it's very important to have an understanding of policy comms always work so closely with policy anyway so that seems like a, a quite a nice kind of move in in that way 
And obviously absolutely. in the world that you're in, you deal with a lot more public affairs as well, stakeholder engagement. So yeah, absolutely. Full bag from ONS to, you know, full bag of comms mix. You know, I think that's pretty amazing. Really interesting. And how long have you been in the industry for 16 years? In total, yeah, I worked for, in terms of that, I worked for a small charity called Counselling Care, who are no longer now. They merged with another organisation um, for five years after I left um, Anchor. So Anchor um, was where I worked after I left Department of Health. And I was there for four years before going to um, Counselling Care. But I was right. more junior in those days. And I was working across corporate policy and Anchor, as you know, a housing provider. Um, mm. They're now Anchor Hanover. Um, quite a large organisation. I was there four years doing kind of a, quite a junior role, sort of policy person there. Mm. But I went to Council Guest with policy and communication. So that's about 16 years ago I joined. I joined that organisation to do policy and comms as a combined role. Interesting. And do you and you found that you loved policy? Do you find that you love comms more than policy? I'm just asking this because I always like comms because I'm like bite sized information. But you started out in policy, so you might feel differently. It's funny. I actually did become come to enjoy comms more than policy and I know that there are people who would do, do policy better than I do it and I do comms better so I think in terms of my own skills and what I enjoy more I have kind of veered more towards the communication side of things which is interesting yeah. I think I sort of realized what my skill sets were and where I could you know grow more and that really was around around communication that Definitely. included things like everything from events to the kind of PR stuff, the kind of press office stuff, yeah. the writing stuff, all the stuff that, that I enjoy and I'm good at yeah. um, is all really about comms. So that's really why I ended up kind of pushing my energies more. Absolutely. And it makes sense to me because I feel like policy, well, that's my own hat, my own hat on. I feel like policy is always, you know, I, I always found it slightly more boring because it's, you know, for me personally, I used to work with a lot of policy people, but my job was to make it more fun. So I feel like yeah. you, can, you get to take the fun part out of the policy bit and, you know, kind of you know pull it out there to the world and that's the great bit about the comms mix of the you know working absolutely really yeah. fascinating stuff so I want to move into your uh, lived experiences so a question I ask everybody is uh what about trying to get a you know an understanding of when you became aware of your ethnicity now for others listening this may be a weird question but it really isn't because whilst we're born in the skin that we're in and we're in our families and we're you know comfortable in our families it's not until sometimes certain instances that make you become sort of you know really potent aware of the fact that you mm. are very different so for me I always give an example of heading to school secondary school is probably the part where I um, it hit me the most sort of first mm. year of secondary school going in and hearing about a group who were called the Chelsea Smilers mm-hmm. would get a you know knife a razor or whatever and would try and like scar you cut your, a smile across your face particularly if you're black or brown and um, so that was petrifying to hear particularly as an 11 year old going off to school um, so that was my first kind of inkling of, oh my gosh, wow, this is quite something. And let's just make sure I hope I don't run to these people. So that was my kind of opening to it. So what was your one? I mean, much earlier than that. And I think I would say it was the 1972 Olympic Games because oh, wow. I was sitting there with my sister. I must have been about, I don't know, seven or eight, really young yeah. at that time. And um, I we were watching all of the... Um, countries coming in and picking out all the black countries and cheering them yeah so I was very aware that aware we look like those then. people so yeah. it was that that and also probably this similar time would have been the world cup when when Brazil won the world cup we supported Brazil because Brazil looked like us yeah. and and we didn't support England so I remember very clearly being very 
aware through sports of my ethnicity and the fact that those people look like look like us and that we would support them. So that wow. was probably my my first experience of, of being aware of my ethnicity. Oh, amazing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting. The different answers you get from everybody. It's really amazing, actually. And um, moving into the work side of things. So have you ever felt like race, ethnicity has ever held you back in your career? I think sometimes it has, and that's probably more probably more in the private sector than in the charitable sector, because I think that there's you know similar issues in PR that you get across the whole private sector, working in the spaces I was in about black people that you saw that you yourself you often held back a little bit when you wanted to progress into a role. Um, you felt that you either couldn't go for that role, or if you did go for the role, there would be a reason why you couldn't you know have it and there was there was also something happening that you felt that was that they were holding you back or placing low expectations on you um more or less telling you that you could not do x y or z there was a lot of that going on Mm. um in the private sector in particular so I would I would say that in my early career it did hold me back a lot yeah yeah when you say private sector more than anything um and have you would you say you've actually experienced or witnessed racism in the workplace and how was it handled? Probably myself has been very, it's really hard to pin down it because it's hard, always so it's subtle, nuance, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. very subtle, very covert. Yeah. So, yes. So, I will say yes, probably around the areas I mentioned before where you are held back from progressing. How is it handled? Probably not very well, probably not handled at all, really. Mm. I think that it's very hard because you can't name it because it's very subtle and the proof is hard to, to find that you've experienced racism you end up just really not doing anything about it at all. Um, of course, later in my life, I think now I, I'm happy to bring these things up. But when I was younger, I didn't feel confident doing that at all and, and probably would say nothing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You just feel uncomfortable with not saying anything because not mm. everyone's going to feel comfortable to speak up in that situation. Mm. And it also is a question of whose ears is it falling on? You know, is it exactly? You know, yeah. Sometimes you feel like you're, you're talking to someone until you're blue in the face and it's not getting through. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I suppose a question I always like to ask is about um, whether there's ever been a time that you wish you spoke up or maybe you did speak up about something, you know, or a time when you've had to, you know, self-advocate or maybe help someone yeah. else. I think I have quite recently, you know, in recent years I've done that. I've, I've, I mean, examples I can give you is where you're in a meeting with, you know, a number of white colleagues, you're the only black person in the room, as usual, as we always yeah. are. yeah. And uh, everybody else gets to speak and say their whole piece. When you start speaking, you're interrupted constantly. That happened to me um, in a role um, recently. And I did take my manager to one side and say, why did you interrupt me but nobody else? And they didn't realise they were doing it. They just apologised profusely for it. Um, and again, I, again, it's that very subtle thing. They probably didn't even know they were doing it, but they had maybe subconscious expectations or subconscious you know, prejudice that made them feel they had to question everything I was saying and interrupt me and not let me finish what I was saying as others were able to say their piece. So say their piece would flow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of thing is where I've spoken up um, recently. Was it well received? So you said that she was was kind of apologetic. Yeah, she did apologise. Since that, like, Um, following meetings. Yeah, yeah, I think they made an effort to do that afterwards um okay. and they were mortified that they they had done it so yeah. it wasn't done deliberately yeah but this this is where we have that 
situation where things are so deeply ingrained in people's minds and psyches, they do it without even realizing they're doing it. And then when you point it out to them, they are usually mortified. Yeah, absolutely. I had this conversation with somebody else and they said the same thing about sometimes it is a case of pointing it out to them. And then they realize, because obviously, like you said, subconsciously, sometimes they're not aware. But sometimes mm. there, there is conscious and there is, you know, unconscious mm. bias. And some of them are consciously aware, some of them are not. And in this case, it sounds like she may have not been. But um, yeah. at the same time, it's a case of, yes, you have to check yourself. If you're sitting there questioning only this one person, this one person, a black woman who's in a room, she's in a senior position. Everybody else around the table has able to give them, give, you know, their briefings. And when it's your time, you're constantly, you know, interrupted to the point where you're feeling probably like, if you let me get my words out, you probably have all the answers to your questions anyway. You know, it's that sort of a dynamic, which is really frustrating, but really good on you that you took her aside and dealt with it as well. And it's these sort of things that people don't understand that are little nuances. It's not a case of um, anybody just shouting and screaming at you, not in the UK. You know, everything is very covert. Um, undercover racism very subtle microaggressions like you experienced um so um and again it does come from people's biases i say this a lot and stereotypes because you watch a tv show you start to think that this is how people react and look at the Mm. media and how we are usually depicted in the media again Mm. you know we've still we've come a long way to you know to an extent Mm. absolutely but still have lots 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 more to go i'd say so I wanted to speak to you about uh, code switching. Now, uh, I think it's always interesting when we touch on this topic of code yeah. switching. Now, do you feel that we can actually lead with our authentic voices in the workplace? Because, you know, often we code switch. I'll be at home with my family, Caribbean family, might drop into a bit of Jamaican pat one, might come back out of it. Won't necessarily do that at work. But um, I do feel like for the most part, when I talk to some of my white colleagues or counterparts, they will feel like they, you know, they, they can bring themselves to work to a degree. Whereas I feel like as a black person, I don't ever mm. bring my full self to work. I have different yeah. codes that I have to switch into. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. And I think there's something about that, that we need to try to find a way to get around that. Not that we should all be going to work being, I mean, okay, I think bring a whole self to work is fine. And mm. I think that we should be able to do that. Mm. Um, and I think it's, 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 it is a shame that we can't because of that, need to code switch that we all just do without even thinking about it but I think with everything that's gone on over the last few years and all the discussions we've had about race and ethnicity and diversity inclusion we need to get to a place where we can bring our health selves to work doesn't mean to speak pat at work all the time but just that you don't feel you have to um hide certain parts of yourself you can discuss what you've been doing at the weekend if you've gone to a you know if you've gone to a uh something that is quite underground in terms of your activity that what kind of men may not understand and may not know about you should be able to talk about those things not feel what to be saying that you went to the opera or whatever you know? yeah exactly. you know if, if you didn't you know, so I think there's something about us being able to find a way to bring our whole selves to work without fear of um you know uh, judgments around that and I think there's, we need to get to that point but we haven't got there yet definitely not we haven't so again so your your answer to that is basically you also agree that you don't feel like we can be our full authentic self in the workplace absolutely. no not yet we should be able no. to we can't no, no 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 i agree with you and i do think it also depends on where you work i think if you're working for sort of government in particular there's a certain pressure there as well i've worked with government bodies and you know sometimes you feel like you need to assimilate you know just to just get along essentially without being judged and all yeah. that going on so there's lots yeah. of layers in this and it's, it's very yeah. interesting, you know. Yeah, we've heard many, you know, recent stories about civil servants who've spoken out Absolutely. about their experiences in the workplace. And so we know that government, unfortunately, is not 
a good place at the moment. I mean, I've worked in Department of Health and uh, it was not bad to be honest, but for me, but I know for many it has been. Um, yeah. A problem, absolutely, because look at the mm. lady that just took the lawsuit out against them and she yeah. worked for the, is it MOJ or MOJ? Yeah, MOJ, yeah. MOJ, yeah. and, um, you know, what she went through was absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, but unfortunately, completely. she is not the only one. She is definitely not the only one. So that's, right. um, yeah. that's the sad thing about it. And the way this government is moving, Tory government, you know, they're, they're quite open to me in their racism. You know, they, they're very open about that and very open about gaslighting ethnic minorities, mm. essentially, at the moment, mm. um, rather than understanding them. So in the PR and comms in particular, I want to ask you, when did you mm. become aware of the colour bias in PR and comms? Was that once you entered? Because obviously you came from a different industry anyway, then you went to policy did. and then comms. So yeah, it was to get your take. Yeah, when I began to work in policy and communications for a charity, then I became very aware of the fact that you have um, policy, PR, comms public affairs people who generally are all from very similar backgrounds mm -hmm. and look very much the same and I was the odd one out uh, so that was when I realized that was was an issue um, and that was when I got involved work in you know in my personal um, volunteering life got involved in doing some work with colleagues around it that's when I was involved with Ignite you may have heard of Ignite I was part of that that group when it was running so so yeah I became I became aware of that about 16 years ago and I began to work for a charity in 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 policy and communications and, and ever since then I've been very acutely aware whenever I interview any kind of role you, you will get a whole queue of very nice you know mm. white young white women yeah. um, applying for those roles you get the old man as well but on the whole it's generally young white women who yeah, go for those roles and so it's very very stark yeah, it really is. And I suppose it's really interesting that you say that you start to see that you came into the industry. Um, because I was always in-house comms, I was always the person who was obviously the one black person there, or maybe there might be another person in another team somewhere else, but not in comms, and going to cross-sectional you know, cross, uh, uh, meetings or government meetings, you'll see other people here and there. But I, for me, I felt like the stark um, awareness became, mostly in, definitely in terms of interviewing, whenever I had to interview for my team, I was quite mm. surprised at the mm. number of just white people that I get. There'd be like literally mm. no black people coming through and mostly women, mm. like you said. Mm. And then uh, joining Women PR was also a massive reminder because I was like, mm. this is just, it's just a sea of white women, literally. And mm. you're looking out for a few people who look like yourself. I know we met at one of them, so I was very happy to see. Yeah. So I feel like there's more women of colour coming to these meetings they now. They are coming through now, um, yeah. Which is yeah. great, but it has been, it, it does kind of make you very acutely aware, you know. It I does, it, it does. It. And I think there's something about the pathways as well to those jobs that we don't necessarily know about. Yeah. Um, most people who get to work in public affairs and comms and PR tend to go through that sort of working for an MP, for example, and then going public affairs for a charity. And, and often it starts with an internship, which is yeah. very low paid or unpaid and yeah. not everyone can afford to do unpaid do internships. Yeah. So the route to getting to those posts is often for people like us quite, if you're less, unless you're very lucky, um, quite circuitous. And certainly yeah. I came from a very non-traditional route um, to get to this post. So, so there yeah. you are. I think there's, there's that as well. The pathways are not very clear for black people. Yeah, that's true. Mm. That's true. I think that's something that they definitely are trying to work on. Even I've put together a document for Hanson Search at the moment, which is about pathways for entry. And I know there's things out there like Taylor Bennett, Bennett Foundation. They're doing some great work in that. Yeah, to try and they're great. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, pathways 
Uh, there's an organisation called Creative Access, but they cover mm. all creative industries. But again, that's kind mm. of a one. But again, a lot of those ones are not as known to the communities again. No. So, no. you know, you've got that a disconnect once again. So I feel like there's still yeah. work to be done around those areas. And certainly the, the careers teachers don't know about them oh, either. They so, the career, do not. so they're not steering the young people to those areas either. So, no. yeah, there's a lot of work to do. You're right. There really yeah. is a lot of work to do with careers people because the stories I've heard from careers people, it's just been quite disgraceful it's just like what because we're black we can't go anywhere is that really what's going on no you know luckily a lot of us have got our own minds and we're like no let's keep pushing and keep going you know the amount of dreams that some of these career coaches have killed I'm pretty sure have been uh, huge so yes. um as I was speaking about this and, and talking about that I wanted to ask you your thoughts on um allyship you know and what mm. it means for you and you know an example of, of good allyship to you so what are your thoughts around allyship because I feel like it's banded mm. around quite a lot within the industry. Um, what does it mean for you? It is. I mean, I really like the Emma Dabbery um, version of, I read her book recently, What People Can Do Next, where she talks about from allyship, you know, moving away from allyship more to coalition. Um, and I think allyship is obviously a good thing if it's done in the right way. It, need, it needs to be a bit more than reading lots of books about, about black history and thinking you've done it. You've <laughs> yeah. got to actually show up and, and be an ally. So that means yeah. speaking up. For colleagues that means being aware and knowing exactly what your black colleagues are going through and, be, and being able to be be an advocate for them if, if 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 need be when they're not in the room you speak up for them if you hear something said that's wrong you know r- racism you call it out you know so i think that's that's what it means to me it's more than just saying i'm an ally and reading loads of stuff it's got to be about action as well and working with your black colleagues and friends and, and acquaintances and having people in your life that are different, and then you can say you're an ally. Because I think it's, it's fine being an ally in, in, in words, but then not having anyone in your, in your life that is different. Yeah. Um, that, is, that isn't really true allyship. You've got to be able to show that through the people that you know and the company that you keep. Absolutely agree with you. I think that's spot on, absolutely. It is interesting yeah. how you see people feel like allyship is definitely just reading. And like I say, definitely get to know black history because, you know, ignorance is not bliss. Get yeah. to know. Your, get to know. And again, you know, there's also a part of willful ignorance. So yes, do a little bit of research. But again, it is about action. I'm completely with you on that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, particularly for our industry, I feel like that's super important. You know, like you said, yes. you know, say what they say about you when you're not in the room, very crucial. You know, speaking up, if you see something that's wrong, you think somebody's being, you know, um, stepping out of line, speak up and you defend that colleague. And again, yeah. it's also about what's happening in your real world. Yes. You know, like you said, you know, you might not, you might think you're an ally, but you look around and actually all your friends look like you. Yeah. And then you don't necessarily have an, un- an understanding because even if you've got yeah. someone who's from a different, you know, socio-economic background, there's something else to, 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 to look at in that because, you yeah. know, everyone is affected differently by different layers. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, I completely, completely agree with you on that, definitely. So in terms of you and your career journey, because it has been, you know, like you said to me, you've had your twists and turns, which has been really interesting. So what has kept you motivated or what kind of inspires you to keep you going? I think it's my friends and acquaintances I see who who look like me, who are older than me, who've done great things and who've progressed. They inspire me every day when I work with them and, and I meet with them and talk to them and share things with them. So my friends and kind of acquaintances I've worked with in the past and, 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 and present do always inspire me. And seeing other people out there in social media, people out there in, 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 the, in the world who are doing great things. Um, black women in particular always inspire me. I think it's about seeing that others 
can achieve and can overcome all those barriers we've been talking about because it doesn't mean that you know you have to give up it means that you have to continue and and push forward and I think that I've all been inspired by people who push forward past the, the adversity and, and, and get on with it and, and, and progress further and show the others that they are not going to be destroyed and they will move forward and, and it'll be better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that is almost embodies black history in itself. You know, the whole pushing forward and yeah. trying to, you know, keep it moving despite, you know, being faced with adversity and all types of stuff like that. So give me one second. I can hear something. Buzzing. Okay. One second. Well, like I've got, hold on one second. I'll have to edit that bit there because yes. my, um, <laughs> my iPad just started going off. I don't understand what's oh going gosh. on over there. Um, yes. Yeah, so we were talking about motivation. Okay. So you answered that question, didn't you? We got to the end of it. Then yes. the bus started going. Okay, fine. Then I will cut from there. Okay. So, so I'll wrap it up from that. So you said in terms of what motivates you, so you're talking about your family, but friends, other black women and, you know, black people who are out there doing great things. I think that's great. And it definitely speaks to kind of our history and, you know, it definitely is inspiring. It also inspires me as well. So I can completely understand that. And you've done some great things yourself as well, which was inspiring. So I want to find out what did you find most challenging on your journey so far? Gosh, I think it's been... The, the twists and turns you talked about, you know, I've had a few twists and turns over the years with um, particularly around the time when um, there was a bit of a, I think 2008, 9, 10, 11, there was a bit of a situation where charities were struggling a bit, merging, you know, acquisitions were going on. And I had lots of kind of situations there where I got made redundant a couple of times and short-term contracts didn't turn into permanent jobs and those sorts of things. So I've had those kinds of challenges over the last sort of decade or so um but yeah but I've, I've come through them and I think they've made me stronger I think what you do is you just have to again overcome the adversity um don't allow it to pull you down move forward onto the next thing uh, and just keep on striving keep working and I have kept on working I think one of the things I've done with all of those twists and turns is I've continued to to focus and to and to give my best self to whatever I do however long it's for and um, yeah, I think that as, as you get older and wiser, you learn to uh, be, be stronger, have a thicker skin and to deal with these things as they come and move forward. Yeah, be more resilient, don't you? It definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. Especially if you're dealing with changes like that, some of those are outside of your control. So the one thing Often, you know, you can't yeah. control that, but you can only control what you do next. So, you know, having that attitude is very, very important. And um, so thank you for sharing that. So in terms of um, your employer, I think it's always interesting because I feel like there's so many initiatives going on at the moment, you know, trying to bring people of colour in, you know, looking at intersectionality, gender, all types of things going on at the moment. So a key question that I like to ask is, particularly for someone like yourself, because you're on the in-house side of things, what is it that you look for from your employer? 
I think I look for a very diverse workplace where possible. Uh, you know, I think we all look for that when we're looking for a job is the diversity in the organisation, not just in terms of race, in every aspect. So seeing that, you know, seeing that at every level of the organisation is really important to me. And if it isn't there, a commitment to achieving it somehow. And um, I also want to see, you know, a commitment to flexibility for employees, whatever that may look like for each employee. And also a very open culture where you feel you can say what you have to say. And again, not have any fear of retribution if you speak up um, where you see things are not going well. It's important that we have employers that we can do that with because we we've all we all know the the kind of the journey that often we take in the workplace where you point out what's wrong and then you become the problem. So it's important that employees are able to hear from their black employees and yeah. employees of colour what's not working well and take that on board and not make the black person or the person of colour the problem. Yeah. Um, so I look for that as well, that kind of open culture where you can say what you need to say without any fear of retribution for that. Absolutely important. Yeah. And also being very progressive just as an organisation and just looking to be the best they can be in whatever they're doing and just having that commitment to doing so and bring the whole organisation with them. And that includes, again, commitment to diversity and, and inclusion of all, all the people, um, whoever they are in the organisation. But every protected characteristic that, that's, that's out there, we need to be sure when you look at all of those and including all of those in, in the work and in, in, in the employee group that we that we actually bring together yeah absolutely spot on absolutely spot on and I suppose for you what makes a, a good working environment for you well I'm working remotely at the moment we, our office is very um much for meetings now we haven't got a big office anymore I work now so we are all 100% home based but um even with that I think the what looks good for me is having that again open communication channel so we use teams a lot to have a lot of conversations and kind of water cooler chats moving on to teams now now working remotely when we do get together again it's just having time to um to think to work together to, to make strategy together but also to have a good time as well and to have fun where where, where you want to you so i think it's about having a good balance between the hard work and 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 the and relaxation as well is important in the workplace and having space to do that is, is really key really? we're working remotely a lot of us now so we need to have um, opportunities to be able to find spaces where we can get together particularly those, those member staff who live on their own or who are living in shared accommodation mm. who haven't got space at work you know space at home to work well together um, and are missing the office environment so where we've got those situations we want to provide spaces for those um members of staff to have access to their managers and to their colleagues yeah absolutely important very important i do feel like the uh post-pandemic world it's changed you know the environment so very much i do feel like there's no more excuses of oh no one can work from home because obviously it was done um i feel like a lot of more workplaces are moving towards a sort of hybrid or remote yes. working environment and i think that can work depending on you know what's happening at home but again you do yeah. have those pockets of people who actually don't necessarily have the best working home environment and need to be have some sort of cities made available for them yeah so absolutely. yeah I think you made some really great points there yeah um, and I've got a team member who likes to be in the office a couple of days a week so they go in a couple of days a week and work in the shared office space that we've got right. and we have that flexibility now so yeah for those who don't want to be at home yeah. you get still crazy at home yeah. can get out and, and be, be in the office important. as well I feel like yeah. it's, it's just having that balance like you say and you've been able to provide that if you've got working space you can work from home 
brilliant. And then you've got your team space. You can go and have chats in. I'm assuming it's similar to something like Slack. I've used Slack. Yeah, people. it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, that's really, really helpful because um, that face-to-face contact, so, you know, is, is really helpful as well to get the ideas going sometimes. So absolutely, it's good that you kind of, you know, weave it in and out where you can. That sounds really good. And um, you spoke about it a bit earlier, but I always like to ask people, you know, what does diversity uh, look like to you? I feel like uh, I should have included equity in that question too. But, you yeah. know, again, again, I'm leaving it open for you to, you know, say how you feel. Yeah, I think, as I was saying before, you're right, it's something about seeing every particular characteristic represented around you in the workplace um, as far as possible and at every level where possible mm. so that you don't have a concentration of people stuck at the bottom who all look the same or who are, are the same. And it's also important to have inclusion of everybody who may have particular challenges, whatever they may look like, um, and I'm not just on about the ones in the Equality Act. I'm also thinking about those things like class as well yeah. that are not part of the Equality Act yeah. um, that people may feel marginalised as well. So it's about that inclusion and equity for everybody, whatever their background, whatever their situation, whatever group they belong to, feeling that they can belong in that workplace and progress within it, I think is really important. And seeing that, seeing that modelled by the the leadership of that organisation as well is really important. Even if it isn't visible uh, at the leadership, it may be there. Just because doesn't, people are all white in a leadership team, it doesn't mean that they're, they are all the same because you've got mm-hmm. things like sexuality and disability and things that you can't mm-hmm. always see immediately. Yeah. So I think it's something about recognised diversity takes many forms beyond um, the visible diversity and, and really keeping that in mind when, when thinking about leadership. And, and I think as long as the organisation is willing to, to own you know the gaps they do have and work to address them then then they're working towards that diverse workplace and that that would look good for me yeah yeah no I get that I get that and I think that's an interesting point you made about you know an SMT or sort of senior management at team level it could be all white but you don't know what you know differences that they may have behind the scenes um I always like to think that it's great to see you know if you can see it visually great but again there's those that you cannot see you know there's a there's the unseen yeah and you won't always know that but I think that's an interesting point because you might have a board that is quite diverse for that particular mm. aspect but those underneath won't know that unless it's actually shared and you might not yeah. want to share that because it's a personal Indeed. situation you might not want to um mm. but with a comms hat on it's actually an interesting point to share to show that actually you know this is me this is what I've had maybe you Maybe you're autistic, you know, or maybe you're yes. you know, neurodiversity, you're yeah. And you're, you, yeah. You've actually managed to get to managing director level, just like you've got Richard Branson, who's, you know, dyslexic and yeah. he's achieved. So, yeah. yeah, it's interesting, very interesting. Yeah. And I've been lucky. I, I worked in a very diverse SMT at Council and Care. I've never worked in one since like that. We had myself, we had an Asian woman, we had a gay woman, we had a Jewish man. And then we had an English woman. Wow. So I've diverse. never I've never had a diverse, such a diverse SMT since then. And that oh, was the wow. most diverse. And that was yeah. in care, wasn't it? I do think that, that social, social care, care is very diverse yeah. anyway. Yeah. You yeah. know, that industry is very diverse. And I feel like healthcare is very is quite diverse as well. It's once you get up into the senior ranks, you find that it's not as diverse. Um, yeah. someone said this to me in an interview the other day that um one of their colleagues referred to the kind of working look, you know, with the white at the top, they referred to it as looking like a Guinness, a part of Guinness. I thought that's so true. You know, it's got the white heads at the top and then everybody else. That's right. It's like, that's right. you know, it's interesting. Uh, very interesting. So 
moving into your proudest moments, I wanted to get, you know, some of your proudest moments. So can you tell us about some of your proudest moments that you've had? It can be work and personal. Yeah. yeah. Well, kind of maybe combine the two. I mean, I like certainly yeah. getting my getting my two degrees, which I did in later life, working full time and studying part time. I got my my two degrees. I think you know, graduating from those was a very proud moment. My mum was there. She's no oh. longer with us now. So having her there was wonderful for both of those. And I felt, you know, I felt that she appreciated the work I put into achieving that. I think when I was doing it, she didn't quite understand. But then when I got to the end of it and did the graduation. I think then she understood um, what it really meant to me um, oh. to have achieved those. So, that, so that's probably my proudest moment in terms of me achieving. And because I was able to change career from, from doing those things. So yeah. um, uh, that was a very important turning point in my life was going back to, going back to college and, and yeah. studying and, and working really hard for many, well, seven years in total to Amazing. get those two degrees. So, yeah, Amazing. in terms of work, probably my proudest moment would have been, you know, um, being able to, be deputy CEO and then acting CEO at Council and Care before they merged yeah. and been able to leave the organisation. Um, it made me realise what my skill set was and what I was good at doing or not so good at doing. But to be, be, to be given the chance as a black woman to be able to do that, um, to be the first, you know, to do that was, was really, really a proud moment for me. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the team I had there was a great team and we, we've, we're still in touch through social media and we had a reunion a few years ago before pandemic and a reunion and I think that, that that proves that team was a very, very powerful, um, dedicated team who, I don't know if I'll ever have the like again, but they were great. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's lovely. That's a nice one. And what would you say has been a career highlight for you at the moment? Be, we know that one's definitely one of them. The CEO is definitely a highlight. It, well, yeah, I think certainly in the role I'm in now, I mean, the, the, I'm the first head of influence at Respect. It's a brand new role. And I'm a black woman in that yeah. brand new role. So I feel yeah. very proud to have been of the opportunity. I've only been in post nearly three months now, but I'm very, I'm delighted to be given a chance to be the first person doing this role and to shape a whole new function. That's very exciting. I've got like a blank page almost to, to work from. And I'm, I'm working really hard to, you know, bring everyone with me to what I want to do. So for me, a career highlight is really where I am now. Oh, amazing. Well, congratulations to you. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Thank so you. in terms of your thoughts around the industry, you know, how do you see it evolving within the next few years? There's lots to do, and I'm trying to be part of that solution. Um, I did the work with Ignite, as you know, a few years ago, and I'm looking at I'm working with, a, with a, a sort of colleague, former colleague and friend at the moment to look at what we can do around mentoring of, of, of black people into public affairs and, and, and policy work, because we're, we're very aware there's a dearth of talent coming through. It's a little bit, it's, it's there, but we need to again, get the pathways right so people can get into those spaces and be mentored by the likes of us um, who've done, done that work. So I think it's something about um, doing that work at the early stages so we can get people into the industry in the first place. And when they're in there, helping them to progress so they don't get lost, you know, lost in the, the lower echelons and get stuck there. So that's, that's, I think, the future is around the likes of us really doing the work to mentor other people and encourage them into the industry and when they get there to keep them in it. And I, yeah. I do work with charity comms. I'm on the charity comms, I'm on the charity comms mentor. So I, I mentor people in charity comms um, mentoring program. And that's really important to me as well. So I think it's all about doing the groundwork early on and helping people um, in, their, in their leadership roles to progress and stay in those roles. Yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Brilliant. And what advice would you give to young people, particularly of colour, who are considering entering the industry, PR and comms industry? I would say um, 
don't be um, faced by seeing a sea of white faces because often that that can be um, daunting if you go into a room and you are the only one that looks mm-hmm. like you. Do not be faced by that because you have just as much to offer as anybody else and you have a right to be there. Occupy the space that you're in because you have a right to be where you are. So I'll tell a young person to do that. You know, don't be faced. Occupy the space you're in. I love that. I do love that. Exactly. I think that's brilliant. That's a good, good advice. So I'm going to move on to mindset because I think mindset is very, very important. Uh, You know, I feel like particularly when you're on your career journey, understanding that, you know, the majority of our thoughts are negative is very important so that you can, you know, use your energy to put focus on positive thoughts and to try and push those away. So my question for you is how do you deal with the kind of internal mind war, you know, Mm -hmm. and how do you manage kind of self-limiting beliefs? It's really, it's, it's a challenging one. And you're right to bring that up. I think it's something that we don't always talk about and we don't want to appear weak in that regard. But I think it's important to talk about those things. Yeah. What I do, I try and do the kind of self, self-talk. self I, I listen to podcasts like Brene Brown. She's always very yeah, inspiring. So, yeah, very inspiring. yeah, so I listen to podcasts to, to get my motivation levels back up again. I read, I, I watch inspiring YouTube videos, uh, I try, I try and keep myself engaged with what's going on around me um, because that will help me to address that negative self-talk. There are some great books out there that have been written. There's a few out there that I can recommend that really give you that kind of um, coaching in a book that you can actually yeah. access. And I think those kinds, of, those kinds of things really help you to deal with that negative self-talk. And again, as I was saying before, recognising that um, you, we are working and living in a, a challenging world and it's not going to change overnight but again recognizing that you are where you are for a reason no one's where they are for an accident yeah. or by accident rather yeah. we have to recognize that we are in the roles we're in for a very good reason and not yeah. to allow others to um you know push us down or to make us you know have those imposter syndrome feelings that some of us do have Absolutely. um just try to stay motivated i think is the key stay yeah. motivated Definitely. I agree with you. And so for limiting beliefs, you said that you try and go towards books and, you know, YouTube and yeah. things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's some great conversations out there. I mean, Brenna Brown's one of those, you know, podcasts that I recommend again. Um, that sort of, you know, uh, unlocking us and uh, dare to lead. Those sorts of things are really powerful because you hear from other people who are very knowledgeable about different things, who share their experiences, good and bad, and you can really yeah. learn from that. And, yeah. um, and also, I think, having a mentor and or a coach is really helpful too. I'm yeah. in the process of getting a new mentor at the moment. I, I've had one in the past, but those having those sorts of um, individuals to work with and talk to really helps you, I think, to talk through those experiences you've had in the workplace that week yeah. where you, you felt, you felt um, put down, you felt undermined and they can share how they dealt with it. And you can take those things on for yourself and learn Absolutely. from them. I'll agree with you. I think that's really important. I'm in the process of trying to find a new mentor slash coach, but I do have a good network of people that I try and speak to that are in the industry. Mm. Only a couple of us, but again, it just means that you do have someone to kind of lean on and just be able to have in that moment. And you've got a shit experience, you know, both all of you being, you know, maybe women of colour in comms and you're able to just kind of share that. So I think that's really, really important. Absolutely agree with you on that. So looking back on your journey now, you know, would you do it all over again? Would you have skipped out MS and moved to, moved to the comms first? Or like, would you change anything? Or are you happy with the way it's taking you? Going right back to the beginning of my life and school, I probably would have um, taken on board my 
teacher's advice to do a degree earlier. I, I didn't, it was again that thing about, in my family at the time, going to university was not really a big option. You know, mm. we, we were needed at home, you know, yeah. to be working. That's the way, that's the background I come from. We didn't yeah. really have a lot of money we needed um, to be working to help the family home. So I went to college for a couple of years and then went into working in the clothing industry. But my, my teacher said, well, I wish you'd gone to university because you could have done a really good English degree. And I wish I had done my English degree. I love reading and love books even to yeah. stay. So I wish I'd done that earlier on. And that probably would have taken me into the career I'm in now sooner. Yeah. Um, but things happening as they did, I'm glad I did change career when I did. Um, the signs were all there. I had the, the made, made redundant help me to do it faster. Yeah. And it gave me, it gave me the kind of catalyst to do it quickly and to um, change direction. I had a really great mentor, again, no longer with us, a woman called Catherine Alexander, who I miss dreadfully, who um, in my very first temping role at the Department of Health pushed me forward. She helped me and showed me what I could do and said, you'll be a great role model for other people one day. And she was right. And I miss her and she was wonderful. And so oh, I think that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change having met Catherine because she really helped me to change career, change and, career. And, and to do it confidently. So yeah. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's always nice when you've got people like that in your life that are, you know, key pivotal people that you know you can look yeah. back and think, if that didn't happen, you know, I wouldn't have been here. So yeah. That's amazing. Much love to her. May she rest in peace. And so what's the best and worst or worst of why she's been given? Most people are giving me their best advice. No one's really been given worst advice, but you might, you know, change Gosh, it right now. The best, the best advice I've been given, and that's just doing in doing comms, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. I think or it the could best be advice, life if you want, it could be. Yeah, life. I think the best advice I was given at work. Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of something now. I, I know I had questions earlier. I should have thought about this question a bit more, a bit more easily. But I, I was thinking really about um, again the very beginning of, of the journey. Um, when I was given advice by a manager, I had another manager to apply for a role in the Department of Health, a permanent role in the Department of Health. Um, they said, this could be a really good fit for you, you know, and I applied for it and got the job. So I think that was really good advice to, to go for that because I was a temp at the time and I could have just gone and gone off somewhere else. So um, that, that was a good advice I had from that manager. Worst advice, I don't think I'd be given anything that's really been, well, it's really hard. I don't really want to name names or anything like that but I think I think it's something probably I would say advice that would have been something around as I was saying before um not not staying straight out of your lane I think there's sometimes you get people who put stuff onto you where they say to you um perhaps this wouldn't be right for you Mm. they're trying to hold you back trying to hold you back so it's not it's not advice as such it's that kind of being held back a little bit Example I'm going to give you on that. It's almost like because it is holding you back, but it's almost because the words you take it as it's not advice, but it's it's, it's dropping seeds in there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, example, I was was trying to do a secondment somewhere, and I've been talking to an individual, the organization I wanted to work at, who was director of government uh, relations. That was their role. And they were saying, maybe you and I could job talk because I was a policy, you know, policy manager at the time. And they were more, a bit more senior, but in a small organisation. Um, and uh, I said to my boss at the time, oh, they wanted me to job, job swap with them, you know, job swap with them. And they said, oh, well, oh, no, maybe someone, maybe not that kind of role, maybe you should go for something a bit more junior, you know. 
So Ooh. advice, probably not advice, more kind of a steer, a negative steer. Yeah, definitely a negative but steer. But I left that role and became a member of an SMT after that. So, um, okay, I didn't job, job swap because they wouldn't allow me to do that job swap. Mm. But I did prove that I could go on and do a senior management role um, after that. Elsewhere. So exactly. So worst advice, probably more that, that kind of being yeah. held back yeah. rather than um, being given uh, poor advice. No, but yeah. That. I think it's interesting because I feel like my best advice has been from my grandmother which was all about finances and she'd say don't put your hat where your hand can't reach and I stick with that all the time I think it's a very important one absolutely (laughs) totally agree and so in terms of coming up to the wrapping up of our interview now so it's been wonderful speaking to you but I wanted to find out do you have any uh, rules that you've kind of implemented alongside along your career journey you know to help you get to where you are now rules I think the main rule I have is just always be authentic, always be authentic self. Um, and this is not about bringing the whole self to work, although that's another discussion we had earlier on, but it's about being authentic and being honest with the people around you. Never, never um, be two-faced. Always be the same with everybody that you work with. It's important to do that so that you present a true face of yourself at work. Um, and I think be the best that you can be, you know, play to your strengths and your skills, own your weaknesses. If you are a senior manager, you'll have people around you who are stronger at doing things that they do than you are. So recognise that, own them, and allow your staff to shine. When your staff, your staff have got skills around you, don't dampen those skills and let them you know, allow them to shine, allow them to do the things they do really well and help them to be the best they can be. Because by doing that, you'll be the best you can be as well. So I think it's something about really helping your colleagues around you to work work well and I think it's it's that bit about being authentic and helping those around you if you can that's brilliant I think that's nice as well and particularly because you're in a senior position it's nice to hear that you want to help your team to shine and I think that's very important um and yeah very good yeah and give give credit where it's due you know give kudos where it's due if it was that person's idea say it was that person's idea don't take the idea for yourself if it's your team member's idea pick them up make sure they have the recognition definitely agree with that because that's happened to me a couple of times throughout my career where people have tried to take things and I'm like hang on a minute no they didn't do that I did that or they try to take credit it's really bad I just don't understand it I'm just like why wouldn't you just be happy for that person and say actually they yeah. done really well well done it was a great idea and yeah. you know I think that's important and this is the kind of person that it happened to me a couple of times in my career actually mm-hmm. um and in different positions in management where another manager is trying to take credit for something. And I just thought, come on now, mm. you know, you're a manager equally, you shouldn't be wanting mm. to take it off of somebody. Mm. So it's, it's, mm. it's really important. But again, I think that comes back down to your, um, your own self-esteem and issues that you're bringing to the workplace. Cause why else would you behave that way? You know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much. You have been amazing. It's been great to have you on here. This has been you know, 95 White Rebels, the comms in uh, the Gems in Comms special with Caroline Bernard, who is the head of influence at Respect. And this is a massive role because it's a new role created for her, like she just said. And um, she has the full reign to do what you wish. So I think that's amazing, amazing feat. Um, and I've had a pleasure of speaking to you today. Guys, do stay tuned. It has been great speaking to Caroline. I will be back with a new session soon speak to some more wonderful people from the world of pr and comms stay tuned